0: Hello and welcome to Office Hours with EAB. On today's episode, we're joined by Rowan University President Dr. Ali Hushman. Dr. Hushman's path to higher ed leadership was atypical. He is one of 10 children born to a poor family in Iran. Education was his ticket out. In a wide-ranging interview, he discusses milestones from his journey and shares what he's learned about ways to reduce college costs without compromising your institution's financial sustainability. He also talks about the value of partnerships and he shares an inspiring story about how he turned his love of growing super hot peppers and making hot sauce for family and friends into a successful, privately funded, student run hot sauce enterprise at Rowan with all proceeds going to support student scholarships. Give him a listen and enjoy.
1: Hello and welcome to Office Hours with EAB. Thanks so much for joining us today. My name is Hirsch Steinberg, and I serve as managing principal with EAB. It's good to be with you today. I'll share one of the perks of my job is that I get to interact and learn from so many university leaders from all across the country. And with that in mind, I'm quite excited by our guest today. We're joined by an individual whose journey to higher education leadership is different than most. The growth and transformation of the institution he has led since 2012 has been nothing short of remarkable. With me today is Rowan University President, Dr. Ali Hushman. Dr. Hushman, welcome to the podcast.
2: Thank you, Hirsch. delighted to be with you.
1: Good to have you. Dr. Hushman, would would you mind sharing a little bit of background on yourself, your journey from your childhood in Iran to your education, your early career, how you first came to Rowan? That'd be a good place to start.
2: Sure, I, I was born in Tehran, Iran in 1954. Uh, My family were very modest, to to put it very generously, and uh, struggled through life. But once I finished my high school, I left Iran in 1975 and I went to England. And over there, I went through, you know, working my way through a bachelor's and master's in mathematics that I finished in 1983. I then moved to University of Michigan to continue a PhD in mathematics. But later on, for whatever reason, I switched to, decided to go to industrial engineering or operational engineering, research engineering, which is really a branch of uh, applied mathematics. And I got a master's and PhD in industrial and operations engineering from Michigan in 1989. I worked for United Airlines the first year of my career as a research analyst doing scheduling and forecasting for the, you know, all the flights that they had. Then I joined the University of Cincinnati in 1990 as an assistant professor and moved to associate professor. And then in about the year, yeah, it was exactly year 2000, and I moved to Drexel uh, as associate provost for academic affairs. And then. then then moved to different positions. And in year 2006, I moved from Drexel to Rowan University as provost. And I was provost since 2011. And then in 2011, I kind of became interim president and year 2012, I became president and I've been president since. So this is a very short and quick kind of story of what I've gone through.
1: I gotta ask, For our listeners at home, how does hot sauce fit into the story? And can you elaborate? Because I have tried it and it's darn good.
2: (laughs) That's really a hobby. I love the two things that I do to kind of keep myself sane. One is gardening, any sign of garden, anything about growth or everything. The other one is running. Running, you know, I used to run a lot of marathons and everything. I don't do the marathons these days, but I do a lot of gardening. And I started gardening, grew a lot of pepper, and from the excess pepper that I had, I decided to experiment because another thing that I like to do is cooking. So I cooked some hot sauce and I started giving them to friends and friends like them. And they kept encouraging me to do more. And I did it until somebody from our staff asked if I was willing to make a badge to be auctioned, which I did. And it was auctioned and it was very popular. And then they went for, they wanted more and more and more. And next thing you know, two years later, we were doing industrial production. We had an FDA approved recipe for three sets of hot sauce, the lowest being Ali's Nasty, because that's the name that my staff gave to the sauce when I gave it to them for free. And then I went a notch higher in the heat, called it Nasty Delicious. And then yet another notch higher to the hottest pepper is in the world. And I call that Nasty Vicious because it hurts you first and then it kills you after that. So that's the story of Hot Sauce. It's fascinating. I have raised about $3 million that I, I is in endowed money. And we have sold quite a bit, well over $100,000 or so. And it's fun. And it's, you know, students benefit from it. And every penny of the proceeds goes all of it for a scholarship. Which I love. Need basic scholarship, yes. So this this is fun, and the students run this thing. And what is amazing about it is actually within within the university, I have created a small factory that basically I, I showcase to the kids to understand how you start your own small business from A to Z. The whole supply chain is right here, and I explain explain it to them because I hire them in the I hire them in the farm. We work together, so I kind of while I we do all the growing and picking and cooking and everything, I also explain this kind of thing with them, and it's really. Fascinating to them too. So there is educational components
1: to it. It's it's so great, and I, I I know I didn't prepare you for this question, but I've had the hot sauce. It is can't be nasty and vicious. It is it is darn good though, and I, I love the story. Um, let, let's talk more about where you're at today. So under mm-hmm. your leadership, Rowan's grown. Sure. Uh, mm-hmm. modest, well regarded state school, around eleven thousand students to one of the fastest growing research universities in the country. Mm -hmm. Two medical schools, you nearly doubled the total enrollment you had when you arrived. I am a New Jersey native. I have watched over the years and have been really impressed.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Ali, what are the accomplishments you're most proud of in terms of the transformation at Rowan? and What kinds of challenges keep you up at night here
2: in 2021? Well, two very tough questions. The first one is, you know, uh, the accomplishments. I think the greatest accomplishment that I really feel very proud of is this. And uh, you may not believe it, but it's really what I believe is the key. I managed by working with the faculty and trying to understand both sides of the higher education between administration and faculty and the staff, that there should be a degree of compromise while you, have, you stick to your set of principles. And I think as a result of that, that I've created what I call a harmonious campus. And this harmonious campus has enabled me to do anything that we wanted to do and be successful because I have moved the institution from me to us. And that has simply enlarged the tent and brought a whole host of people with creativity and ideas and care for the institution to be participant and to provide insight and to provide, uh, you know, their their expertise, their creativity. And I think that's really a key. And, And I found that, The more you let go and the more you bring others to to, to kind of participate in the decision-making, the the better it it becomes. And and I've really seen that in practice. So that's, I mean, people might say yes to medical school, yes, we are not. We went from masters classified to an R2 in a space of six years, five years. Yes, these are great accomplishments and I'm very, very proud. But none of them would have been possible without having that harmonious campus. And that's really no, the why. Th- no, the threat, the challenge is the thing that keep me up. Well, there are a number of them. Obviously, the cost of education for people. I think it is really, really frightening for the United States if we create a situation where we will have a haves and have not population. If it becomes become so difficult for the masses to have access to the affordable and, and useful and, and relevant education. Because in doing so, then you create a kind of what I would call a third world mentality of a country where you have a small group of really have, and a large number of people who have not. You know, We have a $1.7 trillion student debt in this country, somewhere between 35 to 50 million Americans who went to school sometime or another and never finished. And those are our failures. Those are high school, high school higher education failure, whether you like it or not. And I think we need to, that's something that really keeps me awake. How do I find ways to reduce the cost of education? That's number one. Number two, mental health. It really is absolutely a very, very serious issue and extremely important for all, all of us. I'm sure my fellow presidents all appreciate that, understand that this is, this is something that you can never, ever say it's enough done because, you know, it is every single individual is unique and different. And you cannot, you cannot possibly come up with a cookie cutter approach to this issue. And when you do not have a cookie cutter approach to it, then you have to have an approach that treats every individual based on their uniqueness. And that means it could require you to invest heavily. But to me, in a country where we value life, no matter how much we spend, we should do so and even more to make sure that everybody is safe. Because this is a very, very serious issue right now. The other challenge, the third one, the big one, is also how does, As a result of massive infusion of technology in everything that we do, how does higher education and specifically how do the how do the professors are going to move away from sage on the stage into guide on the side. That to me is a very, very tough transformation, especially in state institutions and institutions that are more traditional and unionized. Because unless and until we do that, my worry is that we will become relevant and we will be taken over by all these certification granting entities, large and small. And on some provocative
1: topics, and they're the right ones, I I just will reflect um, the notion of a harmonious campus. It sounds like you don't have to play the last instrument, but you're trying to conduct a harmonious symphony across Mm -hmm. your leadership, and you're going to play beautiful music. And that has led to the evolution of Rowan, which is excellent. Mm -hmm. Um, But you hit on a couple of challenges, Um, the very real challenges, cost of college. Uh, I think we should talk more about this mental health uh, piece as well. Um, You and I have spoken about EAB's work in this space. You know, the moonshot for equity, it's helping two and four-year institutions within the same area or region build those stronger articulation agreements, transfer pathways uh, trying to improve graduation rates among mm-hmm. the historically underserved student segments. Sure, You've done a lot here.
0: Mm-hmm. Could
1: you talk about the work that you and the team at Rowan are doing along similar lines? And in particular, uh, it might be valuable for you to share more about uh, your role, the three plus one programs, your your efforts here, maybe explain to our listeners mm-hmm. what you're talking about and, and Rowan's impact, because it is it is an impressive one. On, right. on that cost of college piece. So let
2: me start by by uh, saying the following no matter how prestigious we are as institutions and I really you know believe that higher education uh, you know there are there are institutions that have different levels of quite of prestige so to speak however you want to define that I think it's possible in, the, in this day and age to to have the cake and eat it too in that. You can be prestigious while you can at the same time be highly accessible, that's possible. In fact, that's what we are trying to do. Now, no, they're contradictory, right? But I'm saying that it can actually happen. Now imagine the following, imagine the statement that one day I made to seven county college presidents in our surrounding neighborhood. I said, how do you like it if of 1,800, 18,000 applicants who applied to Rowan University, I don't remember exact number at that that time, of students uh, or applicants who applied to Rowan undergraduate. How do you like it if you tell every single one of them yes? And they said, how so? So look, as far as I'm concerned, I want to be a better ranked institution, much more prestigious institution. I want to hire very fine faculty members. I want to build very great infrastructure and there is nothing wrong with that. That's really what the amazing thing about about higher education is you want to advance knowledge and that means having better faculty, better resources in order to be able to do that. So we can do a lot of those things. While at the same time, I could bring a lot of kids through a system, a county college system, through a transfer system that their SAT or their high school GPA or anything else in no way, shape or form will impact your ranking. The only thing that impacts the ranking is you are a first-time, full-time freshman. So, instead of me, let's say, going and bringing 5,000 freshmen every year, how about if I bring 2,000 freshmen, spend all of my scholarship on every one of them, and bring the most high-quality freshmen in here, and then create a whole massive farm system with this county college, and bring the rest of the majority of them from the county colleges. In doing so, the generation of the revenue is gonna take place. I will have my revenues. I will do my public service as a state institution. I will never say no to anybody. I will basically put the burden on the students to prove themselves that they're good enough to get a own degree or not. I will never lower my standard. I will just ask them the challenge. And more importantly, the more I send these kids, because there is a direct correlation and that has been proven between income and achievement, in terms of thinking about kids who want to get to high school. If you look at the SAT and correlate correlated with income, you will find that the income and SAT are correlated, right? Therefore, the low income people chances are they are they have got they've got a harder time to get to the very very prestigious schools, both financially as well as possibly school wise, right? Now. If, if that is the case, that means that I cannot, through this system, actually make it far less expensive for those kids. So the less qualified, the, the, the less uh, financially capable kids who probably don't have the 1350 SAT to get to Rowan Engineering can go through the county college route, spend the county college right for the two or three years, and I will explain three plus one to you, and then after that, finish the last year or two and get a Rowan degree. And if it's going to be engineering, so be it. but go, but go to the county college, take calculus one, two, three, and four, take physics one and two, chemistry one and two and all of them, and achieve three point five gPA or higher, and then we will welcome you to our, welcome you to our mechanical engineering. So the burden is on you, but I would make it easier for you. So now what is the three plus one? The three plus one is that this is a very, very important observation that I have respectfully that I would like to share with my with whoever listens to this podcast. There are, I, 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 would, I believe, over 1,100 or so county colleges in this country.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And all of them play a very, very important role. In fact, it plays a significantly bigger role in the past than they do today in terms of preparing the workforce of the future. However, these days, for all sorts of reasons, pandemic, La- and, 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 and not being able to offer a baccalaureate degree, these county colleges are facing massive drop in enrollment. Across the board, I hear anything around 15 to 20%. And these are the infrastructure that are fascinating. They have got professors, they have got classrooms, they have got labs, they have got infrastructure that are paid by taxpayers, and we cannot afford to let them die away. And the fact of the matter is associate degree for all intents and purposes, in today's high-tech economy, is not enough. So we are in a quandary. They are not allowed to offer bachelor's degree, and associate degree is not enough. Do we want to let them die away? It's a shame. So what I decided to do, I said, for a specific degrees that are workforce related, think about mechanical engineering, technology. Think about uh, uh, the um i would say another one so uh, construction management mm-hmm. it's content degrees that are prepare people as the technologies as, as 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 areas in which county colleges were originally built for and you we as a university then come and partner with them and we create those degrees four-year degrees remember those are the degrees that are non-duplicative in our universities and the lack of them we do not have except one or two that are highly popular and highly demand and all the institutions can offer them. And so for those degrees that are workforce related, that we do not have the, the, the copies of them in our campus, what we do as a four year institution, we use our faculty, we go and create that curriculum in collaboration with them. They create the first two years, we create the next two years. Then our faculty comes and he says, here is the third year curriculum. I'm gonna give it to you under two conditions. You can offer it and charge the students the county college tuition. But in return, number one, you have to offer and deliver the content that I give you. Number two, whoever teaches it, I need to approve their qualification. So basically, I loan the third-year curriculum. I'm not giving it to them, nor are they creating it. So the integrity of the county college has been maintained. Suddenly, the county college becomes a four-year institution. Between our tuition and fees, and their tuition and fees, suddenly we are now offering a four-year degree that costs only $30,000, which most of these kids are Pell and and other recipients uh, qualified, and most of this money can guarantee that all of it will be paid by the government. So you now create four-year degrees for the industry that needs right now, look at it, right now, four million people just left employment. This country is desperate for for especially technology area, tech areas. Imagine if you want to bring our manufacturing back and control our, our own supply chain, we better have the workforce and we don't. And we better not as senior institution allow our county colleges to die. And to me, that is the solution. It works now. People would say, if you do that, you're gonna lose one year of your revenue. I would say I take 50% of epsilon, more than 100% of zero. Well put. Well, and, and Dr. Hushman,
1: you, you, you went to an area that I imagine our listeners have been wondering. You, you, certainly, you have me excited and our listeners are eager. This sounds good. It can't be easy, though, and it might be worth explaining You know, some of the challenges that you face. How difficult has it been to get others on board? There's other institutions on board, other leaders uh, getting through what I imagine is red tape, The entrenched thinking that for years this has been the way and we follow the way. Um, And it's likely also contributed to what we've seen nationwide. You know, there's poor transfer and graduation rates for students who start at two year institutions. Talk about the difficulties. I imagine our listeners are interested in
2: that. It's hugely difficult. Yes. And if anybody thinks that, you know, we know the problem with academic because the stake is so small, the fight is very bloody. It always is. And so as a result, it is, it is tough. And to me, one thing that I have learned, and I have done tons of partnership in here, we have done $1.5 billion of construction in a, in a smallest town in Glassboro over the past 10 years, all through partnership. The key to it is the first and foremost approach people from partnership. Don't make them feel smaller. That's very, very critical. In other words, the bigger picture is you want to serve your community, your people, your country, rather than you're trying to kind of just enhance revenue. Because you can enhance the revenue, but you don't have to violate the rest of it. Mm-hmm. That's number one. Number two, recognize and be patient that along the way you're going to find people for all sorts of reasons, personal or otherwise, they're going to slow you down. You're going to have to be persistent. You're going to have to keep on. And number three, I'll quite honestly, I started with seven county college presidents. Of those seven, I managed to get the first only one of them first. After four years, after three years, the second one came. After one year, the first third one came. And and unfortunately, in my experience, the ones that are going to come now, they're coming because they are not desperate. And and so I think I think what you need to do, you need to sh- they see the path. You need to open a path in such a way they say, look, in this relationship, by the way, I don't control the board of trustees. I don't control who is the president of that entity. It's none of my business. I don't control who is their their faculty. This is their business. I have created a pathway for our people to get a four-year degree and affordably and accessibly and relevantly. So that's really all I care about. And so I think if we do it that way, and have patience and be persistent it happens because it makes sense and it doesn't hurt anybody it
1: does make sense and yet still i imagine there are listeners who are wondering well how <laughs> how do i get this off the ground who do i start to talk to i mean short of convincing federal government to provide uh, greater funding support to higher education what could we be doing or should we be doing across Education to make college more affordable? Like, what are the risks as well? Like, what what if we don't, as a country, what risks do we face if we don't get a handle on this? I'd be curious to get your take on that.
2: Um, You know, I'm sorry to say that we, as academicians and academic leaders, have always, due to the circumstances that we deal with, have always been used to focusing on the revenue side of our ledger and never pay attention or hardly pay attention to the expense of our ledger. And as a result, anytime time we had a budget shortfall, I'm talking about state institutions. Mm-hmm. We either went to the state, or if the state couldn't afford it, we simply increased the tuition increases by appropriate percentage. Now, if the inflation was 2% and we needed to increase by 8% in order to balance the budget, so be it, we did it. And that, uh, that recipe never teaches you how to fish. And this is something that I learned from the moment, actually I was at Drexel when I was running a college of continuing education, that you gotta learn how to fish. And especially in the state institution where the total source of revenue that you have is either tuition and fee or state appropriation and plus a little bit of auxiliaries here and there. If, if this is it, you would never be able to be in a strategic institution to do strategic planning. Because you don't even have, you don't know how much money you have one year from now, much less writing a five-year plan. And so, so the way that we dealt with this thing, I said three things. Number one, I am going to only focus on the revenue side on supply. I mean, expense side of my ledger, and I close the supply, the revenue side. In fact, I said for as long as I'm president, the tuition and fees will never raise more than a of inflation. So you cannot go ahead and balance your budget out of that. And number two, I didn't have to say anything about the estate because the estate was cutting every year anyways. So I, I embarked on increasing other sources of revenues. That was the second part. Number one, basically, because I said, don't do not rely on the estate and everything. So I started basically doing uh, what I call public-private partnership. Mm-hmm. I said, there are areas in which that I am not simply good at. I'm not good at, for example, we all know that. We are not good at building. I I found out that we are not good at building our own housing units and managing it. It provides massive deferred maintenance, and the profit margin is lowest. So I moved away all to all public-private partnership. I even look at academic buildings. There were instances in which I could have actually partnered with the developer to build an academic building, not even in my own land, but in somebody else's land and then eventually become owner. So we started into massive public-private partnership of basically use other people's money to build the infrastructure. By doing so, you bring partners to your campus that are gonna make you stronger as an economic engine because these people have invested their money in there. Number two chances are they run these things much more efficiently, especially if you can negotiate well, and you can because you have a massive captured audience with a lot of expendable money in in their pocket. And if you can do those things, then, then you end up reducing any deferred maintenance and you end up actually having more profit. In fact, I can tell you, between the dorm rooms that we ma- built and we manage versus a dorm room that somebody else is built and somebody else is managed and somebody else's land, I make $1,000 per bed here, $250 based, based on one study that I did. Four times. And I have zero yeah. different maintenance in here, high-quality door. Right. But more importantly, as a result of this private partnership, we have turned the 26 acres of land that used to only generate 110,000 rateable for the borough of Glasgow into the most amazing Rowan Boulevard of half a million billion dollar investment that generates right now in excess of 5 million tax for the borough of Glasgow annually, at least. And that's the so that was the second thing public use other people's money mm-hmm. the third thing apart from academic never touch the academic in my opinion always you invest in an academic because that's really what you exist you are there to create knowledge and to impart knowledge everything else in my opinion has to be business so you you really keep the academic sacred that creates the harmonious campus for you that keeps the faculty on your side and then you go after every other division with the university and run it like a real business. You would be amazed how much saving there is. You would be amazed because I have seen it, and they are already in my bank. It's That's an the 30. And the third thing, you find alternative sources of revenue. And that, again, we have done. Number one, 10 years ago, annual fundraising was $2 million a year. Annual research was $5 million a year. And annual continuing education, if existed for the $1 million dollar a year. That was 10 years ago. These three right now in excess of $120 million. The continuing education in excess of $50 million, 50% of it is profit. And all of it goes back to the general fund. I'm not generating significantly other sources of revenue than the state gives me appropriation for my main campus. Therefore, those three things has basically put the institution where our endowment when endowment and quasi-endowment and cash basically went from $250 million 10 years ago to $550 million now. Our enrollment went roughly from 10,000 to 23,000 actually, last time we checked, 23,231 to be exact. Our employment went from 1,800 to 4,300. Our research went from roughly $5 million to $60 million. And we went from a a regionally ranked, nobody knew uh, Northeast College into R2 University, ranked nationally at 88 amongst the public research universities. And it's doable. And it's not because I have been genius, no. Number one, I, I surround myself with very qualified individual, capable individual. I empower them, but hold them accountable Like like a hawk. Uh, I do a lot of public-private partnership. I run everything like a business, and I'm extremely transparent. The budget of Rowan University is accessible to every faculty who wants to see it. I put it online. I have nothing to hide. The less control, the better. The in more some, participation out there, the better.
1: Well, in some ways, the, your leadership style and approach uh, has helped in, in many ways evolution of, of Rowan over the last few years and the advice that you just provided to others who are looking for ways to get into this. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it'd be very powerful if you're up for it. I think uh, we might have some folks, our listeners may want to chat with you more, uh, President Huchman. So there's a world where you have to come back on this podcast and chat more. I know we could we talk for hours
2: on this topic. I see that as a public service, and I think anything <laughs> that I could do to be a help of if, if if assuming that I can be of help, I would love to. These are my colleagues, we are all facing challenges, we are all dealing with tons of tons of difficult time. So, we got to do what we can to learn from each other and to, to share each other's successes so that all of us can kind of sustain ourselves. Because, to me, quite honestly, being a college president these days is the hardest job in the world. Incredibly challenging. You general. have tens of constituents. Each of them wants a piece of you, and none of them wants the same piece. And 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 that's 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 the problem. And and so and so the the, word, the last thing that I want to do is to make that not not better.
1: <laughs> well, I want to thank you for your time today. We we touched on a lot of topics that probably could warrant their own podcast. We got public-private partnerships here at the end. You talked to us about having our cake and eating it too, hot sauce at the beginning. All I know is I'm hungry for something, and I will say thank you. If you ever wanna come back to office hours, we'd love to invite you to return anytime you want, pick your brain some more. Thanks so much for being here.
2: You're very welcome, I enjoyed it. I hope that you will have a great day and thank you for for the opportunity.
0: Thank you for listening. Please join us next week when our guest outlines a strategy and a framework for bringing order to your enrollment management efforts. Until then, thank you for your time.